Gig Gab, the podcast for working musicians, episode 258 for Monday, June 1st, 2020. And welcome back to or to Gig Gab, depending on whether or not it's your first time listening to the show for working musicians as usual, especially these days here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton here in San Jose, California. It's Paul Kent. How is San Jose, California today, my friend? <laughs> pretty good today. I mean, it's kind of like every other day. I mean, we're still mostly inside, but uh, yeah. weather's nice, I guess. That's you know, good. It's, it's, yeah. It's June. It's June. Yeah. The weather's been nice here too. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I want to play some outdoor gigs, but you know, I'm, I'm hesitant. I actually got an offer for a gig. Um, and my first comment, my first thought and question back was, okay, what has everybody in the band been doing, you know, in terms of social distancing and all of that? Like, let's, let's, let's proceed carefully and, and cautiously here. You know, we're not saving lives with these gigs, except maybe <laughs> we are if we say no. So, but I'm eager to play. So, you know, it's, uh. Yeah. We did do our first Zoom. The whole House Rockers got on a Zoom. So so we have a 10-piece band and a sound guy who's like part of the band. So we did a Zoom catch-up and everybody kind of shared how their family was, which was kind of nice. Good. And I raised the question. I was like, you know, it's time to start thinking about, you know, what would it look like yeah. for you to feel safe and to feel like it's, a you know, the right thing to do. We, we've been asked to do like front yard concerts and, and right. uh, a couple of things and a couple of our earlier summer events got pushed out to the fall, which I don't think is going to happen anyway, but sure. I, yeah. I, 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 I told the guy, start thinking about it because you know, what, what could you envision as being the right thing to take that we would do? So, you know, looking at things like putting the trumpets behind some kind of a plexiglass thing. So they're not <laughs> launching spitting all over everybody. Yeah. 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 I mean, just, all this type of stuff. And it's, uh, we got some thinking to do, but that's good. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, well, let's all meditate on that. And in the meantime, I would like to welcome a, uh, uh, a, a very special guest today. Dave cook from area 52 studios is joining us. Uh, he has worked with artists like Donald Fagan and, uh, he manages the sound for Levon Helms's barn. He runs his own studio. He goes out on the road with people. He records people names like Nick cave come up all the time. When you're talking with him, Graham Parker, uh, he, he is way too humble for uh, for his own good, but uh, he, in spite of that, he has agreed to join us today. Dave Cook, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Welcome, hey, guys. My pleasure. I'm sitting here listening to you speak on my headphones, and it's like I'm listening to your podcast, and I forgot that I actually have to speak in a couple of minutes. It's a, it's a very funny experience. It's like, all right, wait, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, but this uh, time when you yell back, the rest of us hear you. So, yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, let me correct you on one thing. Okay. I don't I don't manage the sound at Levon's uh, Studios. I have done lots of work there over the years. Got it. Okay. They have a very uh, capable staff there. I'm usually just there as a guest. Yeah, there as a guest. Okay, I knew you were there quite often, and so I made the, the, the leap that, that you were, in fact, Act, uh, in a position of, of authority or something there, but, but I, I will retract that. Of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, yeah. Did you, um, did you trial balloon if we made the connection between my buddy, Brad and Dave? 
we I'm did say one, uh, go you got there's two days there's don't two forget days. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh this is gonna be fun <laughs> some people call me cookie some call me cook some call me just dave cook yeah well we'll figure it out but dave go ahead and answer the question we're talking of course about our inter- our recent interview with brad maddox uh another front of house uh engineer that uh, yeah. that came on the show but you guys don't know each other do you uh, no, uh, I know of some of his work, but we've never met actually. Got it. Got it. Got cool. it. Yeah. It was a great, great show. Really good interview. He, he, uh, he had some good tidbits. He did. Well, I, I think you have some good tidbits coming up here too, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been, you've been in this business for many, many, many decades, uh, doing all kinds of things. Tell us a little bit. Uh, it, it, the reason I, I, I thought to bring you on the show and, and really once I did, I thought, wow, I should have asked Dave to come on years ago, but was that you were talking about how you were assisting people and coaching people and helping guide people who were doing live streams with their sound and their setups and things like that. So I definitely want to get into that, but tell us, brag a little bit, tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you've done and then, and then we'll kind of jump off and, and kind of get into that, that live streaming stuff and then anything else where we might go uh, right or wrong. So there you go. Uh, Sure. Yeah. So uh, as you said, it's been a number of decades that I've been doing. This is pretty much the only job I've ever had uh, both studio and, uh, and live sound touring. Um, I guess, uh, well, bragging wise, one, (laughs) my favorite credit that I get to tell people I've done is I, I got the, it was a long time ago, but I had the pleasure of uh, engineering about half of the B-52's Cosmic Thing album. Really? And uh, Yeah, and Love Shack being one of them. Wow. <laughs> so it never fails when we're at a wedding or, you know, some kind of party somewhere back when they used to have those things when the public would go to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you're, you're bound to hear that. So that's always a fun thing to hear. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and that I, was, that. I mean, you, you said it almost happened accidentally. What, like, how was it just, just happenstance? You were the engineer on the session that day? Or? Well. It was, I was on staff at a place called Dreamland Studios up here near me in the uh, Hudson Valley. Yeah. Um, And it was sort of the early days of the studio. And we had, you know, I wouldn't say low level clients that came in, but lower budget clients that came in. Sure. Um, Some of them brought their own engineers. A lot of them didn't. So uh, Don was from, was was not was fame back in the day. Um, He was producing this portion of the record, about four or five songs that uh, we were doing together. Got it. And he, when he contacted the studio, he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not, we don't have a huge budget. We're going to kind of do this uh, with whoever you might have there. Who do you have? So, uh, we chatted and I sent him a cassette of some of the stuff I had done <laughs> and uh, I was very young. And like I said, I was a staffer and he said, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do that. So that was it. And, uh, I was, you know, it was great. So I was just a house guy, got wow. to work with these guys, got to watch how Don worked and, uh, and there you go. So, okay. So I, I'm going to ask this question because obviously that record went on to be, as you said, huge. It's, it's yeah. ubiquitous, right? It will, yeah. it will outlast all of us. Right. And all of them, what are like, I've certainly been in, in pro studios doing sessions that, that go nowhere. I mean, other than what we intend for them to do, you know, but never, never have really taken off or anything. Is there anything different in the vibe when you've got, you know, Don Was producing and, and a band with a little bit of a name? I mean, because I, I know you've done sessions for, for people like us and then you've done sessions, obviously, for, you know, like this. It, it, is the vibe of the session basically the same or or is there more pressure because this might go somewhere? Like there's a greater chance of this going somewhere. You just got to kind of treat it all the same. Uh, good question. Uh 
I guess first I'll speak generally, um, yeah. not so, so much about that one, but generally, uh, you, you do, tr- you do treat it the same. I mean, anything I'm working on, I, you know, if it's, you know, mom and pop down the street or, uh, you know, or something like that, you still, you want to do the best job you can, of sure. course. And, you, you know, and, and any work you do generally work will come out of that. So you want to just put your best foot forward. Uh, but, uh, but more, <laughs> that, that session was interesting. It was, the, I, if I remember correctly, it was the first time they were back in the studio since, um, uh, Ricky, who was the original guitar player who was the brother of Cindy passed away. Um, so they had kind of been in a strange place, uh, emotionally, if I remember. And this is the first, the first time they came in, they hadn't done anything in a while. And, uh, I don't think they really knew what was going to happen with the record. So, you know, there was a little bit of sadness going on. There was some, some experimentation sound wise. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, and Don was at the time, that was sort of the start of his big career he Got after it. that he anything he touched went gold um got it okay literally. so he wasn't he he wasn't known to have the midas touch before that although clearly not, he did yeah yeah not yeah. necessarily he i think he was more known and respected as a musician at sure. that point not so much as a producer Interesting. and then he went of course he went on to do bonnie raid and rolling stones and a ton of great people right um right. so uh yeah so that but that was it we kind of just approached it as we normally would he he was a, he was really great to work with he was he took a like an overview kind of look, uh, a uh, position on it, but step back, let a lot of people just do their thing, you know, stepped in and made suggestions when he, uh, when he had to, um, and, and love shack out of the four songs, few songs we did love shack was the last track and almost like a throwaway track. Uh, Charlie Drayton was playing drums on that. And, um, he, Don went out for, to, to take a break for a little while. He just left the studio and Charlie thought he would set up um, some of the, some of these funny old marching drums and everything that were floating around the studio. And we spent about an hour or two setting that up, getting an interesting sound. And Don came back in and said, you know, what are you guys doing? I just want to keep this as it was. <laughs> so we went back and Charlie reluctantly went back to the, his Yamaha kit. Yeah. Um, but then we cut the song. It was hilarious. The, we, we all sat there in the control room and we're listening to the lyrics, having a blast. And of course, that went on to be probably the biggest record of their, the biggest single of their career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had other hits, of course, but but yeah, that's that's oh, that's up there. You know, that's top their song. Top. That's their song. Well, you yeah. know, Rock Lobster too, right? <laughs> but you know, like that's yeah. So, so anyways, I got to so ask a, I got yeah. a really interesting question about about the social engineering skills you have to have and the role you have. Like, do you have managers? arguing with artists over things that you have to, you know, figure out how to navigate and and actually even more relevant. Do you often find yourself in a situation where someone who thinks they have technical chops, but really don't have technical chops are trying to give you technical guidance that you know is not good guidance? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And and, yes. And I have no stories to tell, right? (laughs) Yes. All the time. Uh, You know, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, pat myself on the back just a little bit saying that my social skills are really good. Um, they would need one, to be for you to stay yeah, in that, in that job yeah, for that long. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I've, and I say that because it's been commented on a lot um, in a positive way. So, you know, if I'm in the middle of something, if a manager or a producer and an artist get into something, uh, and, and let me also just say one other thing. Um, and I think, I think Brad actually might've said this on that interview you, you were speaking to him about or someone did, but anyway, uh, throughout the course of you know history of what I do for a living, engineers tend to eventually turn into producers 
you know, producer slash producer slash engineers or just straight ahead producers and don't have much of a hands on the technical bit anymore. Sure. Um, that's just sort of been the evolution that everyone wants to do. Producers tend to make a little more money too, you know, uh, with points and all I that. I was just going to say, yeah, you, you can get some points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which I did not on that record, by the way. I uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I never felt like I wanted to do that. I always liked doing what I do. I, I've, Definitely had my share of production uh, credits, but I've just really enjoyed doing what I do. So when it comes time for decisions, big decisions to get made that might uh, be not exactly agreed upon between the producers and producers and the artists, I'm in a really great position to sort of step back <laughs> and let them work it out. Um, uh, I'll offer suggestions, uh, but I really sort of, a lot of times I'll wait until I'm asked. And I guess that comes from my assisting days and being groomed in that way where it was, you know, in those days, especially in the old days of studios, you know, assistant didn't say anything unless they were asked. And even then they had to be very careful about it. Yeah. Uh, just a hierarchy. Sure. Um, as far as the, uh, someone thinking they have more technical chops and knowledge than I do or making suggestions, I'll generally take it. I'll listen to them. I'll say, okay, let's, you know, maybe let's give that a shot if it sort of makes sense. Cause I'll learn something from it everyone, every now and then. Um, but if it's if it's coming from not a very well educated place, um, sorry, Dave. A lot of drummers do this. I'll just tell you right now. Um, <laughs> hey, why don't you try this mic? Why don't you position it like this? Let's try the overheads like that. And if I'm not in the mood, I'll just step back and say, "Am I telling you what kind of sticks to use? Let me do my job. <laughs> you do yours, and I'll uh, you know, and I'll and I'll take care of it." Yeah. Rarely do I say that. I do try to work with them on that. So wait, let's pause right there because I yes. gotta imagine. <laughs> So there's some kind of measuring up as to whether, you know, you're making an intelligent guess now that saying that is not going to be a career limiting thing. So you've kind of like watched the guy set up. You're kind of like catching his vibe and you're, you're trying to figure out like, can, can I set some boundaries here that are going to, going to take us through the rest of the session? Right. I mean, would like, would you literally any band, any drummer that starts doing that, would you, would you set a boundary like that? Not knowing who you're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta read yeah, the room, guess, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. I got to see what's going on. Um, you know, oh, that's it's it's a hard thing to answer, but I, uh, sure, there are boundaries set. And when I do when I do come back with that sort of snarky comment that I just made, it's done with you know a little tongue in cheek, and it sure. is sort of sarcastic and fun, of course. Um, but you know, if it's if. I can kind of feel if it's an educated, um, it, well, it's either an educated suggestion or maybe out of curiosity, what would happen if we tried this because he or she might have read it or read about it or seen it done or something like that, you know? Sure. Um, uh, then, but then there's, you know, the people I might work with who might have years more experience and deserve just kind of because of that alone, uh, a bunch of respect and, um, you know, and listening to for okay, I'll drop a name. Bernard Purdy, great drummer for a million years. Yeah, I did a session that he was on uh, a bunch of years ago. He walked in with his entourage, and uh, the first thing that came out of his mouth is like, "Where's the engineer? Where's the engineer?" And it's like that would be me, sir. And um, <laughs> he's like, "All right, I'm going to tell you one thing: the front head does not come off my bass drum." And I just that's what he said to me because I guess a lot of his experiences, you know. Yeah. The the engineer wants to pull it off, throw a pillow in there and deaden it up. It's like, and he was expecting an argument. And it's like, that's, that's fine. I said, that's your sound. I'm not going to alter that. That's your, your Bernard Purdy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. Step back. He's like, oh, 
okay, we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you get and, uh, Right, exactly. You had me so at hello. I, I, I'm not sure if that answers the question so much. But, oh, uh, it, it, does. it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I And I've been in those scenarios. Actually, I've been in scenarios where, where the engineer does uh, suggest what sticks I should use. Uh, so, so, so the answer is yes, maybe you are. Uh, but, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean, as a drummer, especially... I'm very like drummers in general. We're very close to the microphones, right? So mm -hmm. it, you know, a guitar player might not even see what mic you put on his amp because it's probably in a different room, you know, potentially. Whereas, you know, me, it's like, oh, that mic's that's in the way or that's interesting. You know, I've never seen that before. So I can I can see where and I've I've definitely caught myself in those moments. So so you're right that drummers are are, are it, it would not surprise me that drummers. It does not surprise me that drummers are, are worse <laughs> at this than than other folks, because they're right there. They've now become part of your instrument. It's really what it is right They're literally hanging off your instrument or at least true, you know, right there. So, um, so yeah, we have, but plus we drummers were a, an opinionated bunch and, and we are, <laughs> we almost always know the answer. So, you know, <laughs> and, and I will say also that, um, the, what I'm describing happens very rarely now that was earlier, uh, in the earlier years, it would happen more, maybe yeah, especially as a staff engineer where sure. you might be doing a session where no, the people don't know you, for, you know, and they meet you on the first day of work. So they don't know what's going on. They don't know what your talents are. Yeah, um, right. You know, luckily I've been at this so long and I have my own place that the majority of the projects I do are uh, either artists that I've been with for years uh, or if it's some that I haven't worked with, they're coming to me for me and what I do, not necessarily for what I have. And they're going to, they're not necessarily going to question it, which is, you know, a nice place to be in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All Do right, you so, have any? Oh, go ahead. I, I no, you go say, ahead, Dave. Well, no, I was going to say we should we should answer we should address the question that we brought you on here for because it's clear to me that we could easily go another forty five minutes just like throwing ideas out and you coming back with stories. So we will continue mm. doing that, but. Uh, we do like to offer a little bit of guidance to folks, and you said that you were doing some of that. So I would love to hear what it is that, you know, that your thoughts about this whole live streaming thing and, and how best to set up for, you know, success and sound and all of that good stuff. Like, what what have you learned? Uh, well, I've learned, well, in what way? What have I learned as far as techniques or uh, that or the mistakes people are making? Yeah, or both. They need to both. Yeah, well, everything, yeah, yeah. yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Like what, what are the common things when you when you reach out or someone reaches out to you to help? Uh, you know, what are the common things that you're solving for people? Okay, well, uh, from pretty much day one when things locked down and especially when schools closed, um, I got, you know, the first week or two was filled with questions, emails and phone calls from uh from people, well, artists that I work with, musicians I work with, as well as uh, just teachers that I know, because I work a lot. I, I, I do a lot of um, educational stuff as well. Got it. Yeah. Um, the question was, of course, I'm starting to teach online, uh, teach music uh, of whatever kind, uh, piano, guitar, voice. I'm starting to teach online. I don't know what I need. They're telling us to use Zoom. I don't have anything. What should I do? So really the first thing I say is you use headphones. Don't let, you know, don't let the speakers in the room bounce around and don't sit in a room with hard surfaces where you sound like you're in a cavern. And two simple things that they could do to start. Uh, because just as 
you know, as we're all well aware with, and we're kind of getting used to it, is the sound of Zoom when people are on their computer mic, they're not wearing headphones and they're in a very live sounding room. Yeah. So I'll tell them, you know, if you can throw up some blankets around you, go into a bedroom where there's a mattress, sit on your bed and teach. So it's going to sound right off the bat, it's going to sound better. Secondly, try to get uh, a microphone that will, um, that will be better than your computer mic, a USB microphone, um, maybe even a headset mic uh, that, you know, with an interface or whether it's a USB headset, something that will give a little more presence, a little more clarity than the built-in microphone. Uh, learn about the settings within Zoom or whatever uh, application you happen to be using that will improve it. Uh, cut sure. down on the compression, the data compression, um, the, you know, the echo and noise cancellation. If you're in a dead room and you're wearing headphones, you don't have to worry about that as much. So you'll have a cleaner stream. Uh, so those are the basics that I'll start telling people about. And right off the bat, they're in better shape. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice. What have you, uh, what about the, the folks that are, you know, kind of live streaming, actually playing their instruments into this, you know, brave new non-feedbacky, non, non, non-interactive feedback world? Like what, what kind of things have you found help people in that environment? You know, solo guitar players or, you know, people playing their keyboard and singing some tunes or whatever that is. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, what's helpful is they could use the record function in Zoom to start tweaking what what it sounds like and what it looks like yeah. before they go ahead and stream live. Uh, one of the artists I work with, her name is uh, Maya Beiser. She's, um, she's a cellist. She's a, sort of a modern I hate using the words modern classical, but that's sort of what the genre is. And sure. we've been working together for many years. Um, she just did a live performance as part of a, a marathon festival uh, in New York. There's a, an ensemble, well, they're spread out throughout the country, but they're based in New York is a, an ensemble called Bang on a Can. Um, and they do, uh, they do their annual marathon festival. They did about a month ago. Yeah. So she performed from her place. She has, you know, she's, she's got me first of all, but she also has logic that she's working with. Um, there's pre-recorded tracks that she uses within it. So uh, what was happening is all the artists were spread around the country. They were coming in via Zoom to a central location um, to the main mix engineer, video and audio mix engineer that was handling it all. Yep. Um, and he would switch back and forth between artists. So anyway, what she did was uh, we had her set up uh, in Logic with the backing tracks and with her inputs, uh, both a pickup and a microphone. Then... Um, that was being processed with some reverbs and some delays that was then coming out of logic into Soundflower. Okay. Which we're, we're, yeah. Yeah. Which you're well aware, well aware of yep. um, for, for anyone. And you'll probably explain it better than I can actually, cause I'm, I don't use it that often, but essentially it's an internal routing mi uh, mixer more or less. A, a um, better way to say it I've found is that it's a virtual audio device. There you go. Okay, right. So, so we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so we created the aggregate device within Logic, yep. uh, where we added Soundflower plus her interface, which was only a two-channel interface. Uh, she was using the, her interface locally for her inputs to Logic, as well as what her monitor was, because she also had to hear click tracks. Um, that couldn't be sent over Zoom, of course. So we used Soundflower to route to Zoom. Yep. So we had the full, uh, the, uh, the full gamut coming out of Logic into Zoom. Zoom was set in stereo, which I discovered you can go to the Zoom website on your account uh, unlock some advanced settings and you can, uh, allow zoom. Uh, once you unlock it within the website, you go back to the app and there's a, um, a stereo box that allows you to use stereo audio within zoom. 
It, the Zoom uh, settings are Zoom's audio can be fantastic. Yes. Uh, in fact, we, the, we got there. The interview that we did with with Brad Maddox was eventually done over Zoom because the other platform that we were trying to use Zencaster just didn't work with his audio setup, so, which was fine. But it, yeah, it, it, and you can make it sound great. But like you said, you have to go in not just to the app, but first on the web and and unlock, like you said, and then come back. Yeah, it's crazy. Exactly. But, but which you get I, there. yeah. Yeah. Which I just discovered during thanks thanks to the pandemic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I would yeah. never would have bothered. I would have had, wouldn't have had a reason. So anyway, through all, long story, but to get get there, we we, we turned on the original sound like you do in Zoom as well, um, and it was good. I don't know what the actual codec is. Maybe you maybe you do as far as where it is. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be some kind of higher MP3 stream. I don't know. I haven't found that out. That's a good question. I don't know the answer. Yeah. I don't think it's PCM. It doesn't sound PCM. Okay. Uh, I'll trust your ears uh, on that. Yeah. 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 But, but it's really good. So anyway, that's what she ended up doing. But as we were, once again, as we were leading up to the actual broadcast, I had her record herself, um, listen back to it, see, you know, what tweaks can be made. And it was a total success. It was, I, you know, I was sitting there watching it. I wasn't, I had nothing to do with it on the actual broadcast, but I was blown away at what we ended up with. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, and 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 that's a good like that kind of setup can work for a lot of different scenarios. I, I mean, you, you know, you're talking about getting into Zoom, but the same would be true getting into Facebook. If if you can use your mm-hmm. DAW as your mixer and apply all those great reverbs and all of those things that we have, and then use some sort of virtual audio cable. You mentioned Soundflower. Soundflower is kind. It, Soundflower is Mac OS only. And mm-hmm. is also not really actively developed. It, it's kind of sort of actively developed. There's Correct. a better one that we found recently called Black Hole that mm. uh, that is actively developed. And so so I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. But then on the Windows side, there's there's one that's literally called Virtual Audio Cable. And, and it does the same kind of thing and would allow you, you know, the issue is whatever app you're using, you need to set it to an audio device as its input and and these virtual audio cables create that you know virtual device that your computer will see and then uh, you know it's just like another microphone that you plugged in it's like oh yeah you just set it to that and then you get your mix just like dave described yeah it's great that's that's great i'll look at that because i was looking for something on the windows side as well that's excellent yep yeah it uh i've messed with it it works on the Windows side, you have to be using ASIO drivers. You can't use whatever the other slower, higher latency stuff is, but you'd probably mm-hmm. wind up getting there anyway. So uh, doing any of this stuff. So, um, but once you're, once you're on ASIO, it's, it's, it seems all good. I've, I don't have any Windows machines here to mess with these days. Um, and I'm not upset about that, but you know, <laughs> I got to say, I'm liking windows 10 pro. That's all I'll say. That's good. No, that, no, I, yeah, look, uh, you know, if, if you're on windows, people always ask me, you know, in my other life, you know, oh, convince me to switch to the Mac. I'm like, what, my first question is why if, if yeah. is windows working for you? If so, stay there, please. Don't. I mean, I have one windows machine really, but and sure. it was out of convenience, but actually it was audio related. I, um, I bought uh, a few years ago, I bought the Behringer X32, yeah. Um, for a specific job, I needed to do some multi-tracking and I didn't want to, and it was something where I didn't want it to bring racks of preamps and all this other stuff. So I bought that specifically for that gig, which makes sense. Yeah. turned out to be a little bit of a, a disaster because of me, which is a story that if we have time for, I'll be happy to tell you. But I was looking for, at the time, you know, if you know it, and for those of, out there who don't, um, you can now with that console have 
uh, there are option uh, uh, card options that you can purchase. And one of them is a dual SD card uh, slot mm. where you can multi-track directly into the console uh, with redundant, uh, redundant multi-tracking, which is a phenomenal thing you can do. But before that, you needed a laptop. So uh, right. my MacBook Pro was tied up on something else. I didn't want to have to record into it at the same time. So I ended up getting a, a Surface Pro 4 specifically for that. And I use uh, Waves Tracks Live to record it. And it has been bulletproof. That's I've great. Made, yeah, I've done numerous um, releases on it and it's been a bulletproof situation. I've heard a lot of audio folks saying that the Surface Pro 4 has been, or the Surface in general, has been a great, like you said, bulletproof machine. Very, mm -hmm. very sort of simple, but but in that environment, that's exactly what you want. That's good to know. All right, it's so I, I, back to this this topic of of uh, getting sound right and and maybe sort of factoring in using a, a DAW, you know, a lot of people, like you said, are in what I always call bouncy rooms, but rooms with lots of hard surfaces that, you know, reflect all your sound and, and add a lot of not necessarily desirable stuff to your uh, to your inputs other than, you know, trying to, you know, do some sort of on the fly wall treatments or uh, and and using the right microphones, which which you mentioned. Uh, any like EQ tricks or anything like that that you found can help sort of, you know, reduce some of that stuff for people that are doing those kinds of streams? Yeah. Uh, well, if I'm, let's assume that they're kind of doing it on a shoestring, they don't have a budget to build a, re, a proper control room or right. studio. Right. Uh, first of all, just use your ears, go into the room, go into the room you'll be speaking or playing or whatever the case may be and start clapping your hands and uh, singing out loud and see, you know, just really let your ears tune into what's happening. Um, in some rooms, you'll get that, you know, flutter echo where you have a standing wave or you'll have, um, sorry, flutter reflections between uh, two parallel surfaces. If that's the case, move to a different part of the room, see if it goes away. Um, find a part of the room, if it's possible, that has the least amount of stuff coming back to you. Um, and then at that point, just, you know, start uh, for speech in particular, the best room to be in is as dead as it can be. You don't want any reflections. You want to be able to have soft surfaces around you. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, we're, we're almost getting used to this um, Zoom and Skype audio sound of everyone being in a really harsh live sounding but, but that is fatiguing, even though we're used to it Very and we tolerate fatiguing. it. Like there is the physical fatigue of listening to that, 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 that does like you tune out after a while. See, I, I would come at this from a totally different angle. So there, um, I, I mostly do like just me and a guitar, acoustic guitar, singer, songwriter streams. Right. And there are people who are doing nothing, just letting the mic and their phone be there. You know, there's some people doing that. There's some people putting that mic in front of a sound system of some kind and then using a sound system to EQ it and the sound system provides some monitoring as well. But then there's a lot of people that are, that are getting a really nice quality signal and getting it into their streaming device somehow, whether it's their phone or their Mac, whatever. My question is, I think that this vibe belies what you're trying to do. I mean, it's pristine and it's nice, but it doesn't feel like a live performance. It's too clean. And so mm -hmm. I would love tips for making people feel like they're in a room with me, right? Like, mm. like you, you know, I, I want it to feel like a, like a virtual event. I mean, we, we can accomplish getting pristine audio pushed out, you know, until Facebook compresses it. But, but I mean, what I want is I want, if they're going to take the time, 
a lot of people, when they watch these, they put them on their surround sound systems and put me up on a big TV or something like that. I mean, what I want to know is how to give people not perfect audio, but real audio. And I'm, I'm not being facetious here. I want them to feel like they're, like they're sitting in a room, a club, a, you know, something, a small coffee house with me. And that's the vibe that I'd like to communicate. Uh, that's excellent. Yeah. You have a, an excellent point. Um, and I guess at, well, at that point you do, you, you would like to hear the room that they're in. Uh, the, I guess the challenge comes then of just getting the balance, especially if they're using one microphone, getting a proper balance so that their vocals aren't, uh, aren't buried or you can't hear the guitar the the other way around. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the, and you guys know this, but the further away you get from the mic, the more room you're going to hear, the less articulate and present it will be. Uh, so I, I think that would, that's pretty much it. You, they, you'd want to hear the room. That's, that's, that would be, cause when you're sitting in a club or, or, you know, you're sitting in a space listening to someone, you're hearing the room bounce around, whether it's the sound system that's bouncing around, coming back to you. Um, or if you're right in front of the stage, you're hearing them, but there's, but there's an ambient sound around. Right. Um, so that's that, then that's what you're lacking when you're just what you, what you just described. If someone's, especially if someone's going through a DAW, you're getting, you know, record quality audio. Um, and it could take away from that feeling, especially if you're using effects and what it, but what's going on. And then this is me, you know, I always will overcomplicate things at least initially and then, and then always. sort of dial it back. Right. <laughs> that's, that's just how I am. But, you know, I, I think, and that's well, why we love you. Right. No, I know. But you know, like I, in years of podcasting, I learned very quickly that people are listening, like you said, in their bouncy rooms, they don't necessarily want the sound of my bouncy room added to the sound of their bouncy room. Right. Hmm. And, and, but, but there's a, there's a level there. In fact, this show and in, including this episode, but every episode, I add a little bit of reverb to it hmm. because we're all in three different rooms. Now, hopefully we're, and yeah, we are, you know, all relatively close to our mics. We get a pretty dry signal. I add just a touch of reverb so that it sounds like the three of us are in one room together. You know, it, it's sort of, you know, it starts to glue it together a little bit. That's plus some compression. It's almost know. like room tone that you're adding. It's, in it's, I'm adding room tone. So, so yeah. that's where my question comes in. Like, does it make more sense to start with that clean, pristine signal and then add some room tone? And maybe the room tone is, is as simple as what I'm doing here, which is just adding some reverb in, uh, you, you know, uh, electronically and, and fakely, or is it, like you add a third mic, if you've got one on your guitar and one on your vocal and they're both pretty directional and pretty, you know, clean signals, do you add another mic, you know, five feet away and blend some level of that in so that you get the control of, okay, here's the clean signal, but then, you know, I'm in a room playing a guitar. So here's some of that too for you. And that, I kind of like that idea. Like, you know, cause then you get the, uh, then you get sort of the best of all the worlds if you mix it right. I think. Right. And obviously there are many variables. If right. someone's in an apartment right. in New York and they add a room mic, you're going to hear sirens and, you know, mm. everything that's going on outside as well. So I don't that's think there's fair. one no, there's cut answer for yeah. any of this. Yeah. 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 Um, that's interesting. Uh, but, yeah. but there's another thing that I've been doing and I actually have a, another one coming up on Thursday is I, I am, I'm multi-tracking with this same person, Maya, she's in New York and we have a producer in New York and we're uh, sorry, in Boston and we're, we're multi-tracking from her location. 
it's, I don't, if there's time I can get into the setup. It's pretty complex. However, the point that I was making with her, this goes back to your question, Paul, as far as pristine audio or live feeling. We, when we started testing this method, we were pretty impressed with how it was working. She initially felt like the quality wasn't there. There was a little too much background noise from coming from her place in New York. But my point was maybe we can embrace some of that because of the nature of how, of how we're doing it. We're making a multi-track record over the internet, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So the thing, it, it hasn't happened all that often. Um, so, you know, the noises and the in imperfections that come along with that, I think are part of it. So maybe that's sort of what you're getting at, Paul, with these, um, with these performances in people's houses and apartments. Let's not keep it so clean. Let's keep it a little ragged. Yeah. Yeah. He wants it perfectly imperfect. Right. Although, you know, what the point you made, Dave, as far as things being fatiguing is there's a fine line between it feeling comfortable and live and just being fatiguing and hard to listen to. Well, it's those, those square waves are the ones like if it start if you start getting that frequency range where it sounds like the inside of a bouncing basketball, you know, mm-hmm. too like too much of that. And people are, are done they're, It's just not they're not going to listen to you anymore, even it's though true. they might have you tuned in. They're going to be tuned out. You know, it's true. it's you know, you got to be it's careful. Distracting. It's distracting. Yeah. 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 Interesting. All right. Well, I mean, we've been here for, I don't know, what, a half hour and, and we haven't hit, I mean, we hit one of my questions, which is totally great. Like, I love that we're going uh, totally in, in all these directions. You've teased up a couple of stories. Uh, it, when we chatted uh, to sort of set this up, I, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever made any memorable mistakes, Dave, that you might want to share? <laughs> Uh, yeah, many. The hard, hard part is figuring out which one to talk about. Yeah. Um, any expensive mistakes? Yes. That's the one I'll talk about. Uh, okay. So I'll try to keep it shortish. Um, but essentially it, it goes back to the job, uh, that I was hired to do with when I bought the Behringer. Um, and for those of you listening, Behringer used to be a dirty word. It's not so bad anymore. Thanks to the X32. um, I think they really broke some ground with that. And I now have their new console as well, the wing that came out recently. Oh, how do you like that one? Well, I love that. I I love, I love it um, as I was learning it and pre-programming it for some shows and then the pandemic hit and it hasn't been out of the studio. Got um, Got it. I haven't used it in a, in a, in an actual situation, but I think some of the design concepps that they've put into it are great. I, it, I think it will rival some of the top consoles out there. I know them all pretty much, so sure. I see some of the things that have come into it that that um that have crossed over some of the from some of the really high end uh, desks. Super excited to use it. I just hope I can soon. Yeah, yeah, and it's I it, I know I'm now I'm pulling us into a tangent, but is it, it, like your work is split between being on the road and being in the studio, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in a right. normal world, yeah. Yeah, uh, just uh, quickly. Uh, yeah, about maybe 12, 13 years ago, I um, just really by chance fell into the live world by um, covering some shows and starting to do some work at a new performing arts center that was over here at Bard College near me. Mm. Um, and because I locked out, I was able to start working with some pretty big names pretty quickly and started touring. I didn't, I, I didn't, I never had to hit the bar circuit in live sound, which I'm feeling pretty we hate you for that, by the way. I know. Well, that, see, that's the thing. I mentioned this to the guys and they're like, I hate you. That's right. just not fair. That's not fair. Um, yeah. You know, I, I did a one-off with Carly Simon. Some of your listeners might know who she is. She's um, Sure. But, yeah. And before I knew it, I was on a full-fledged 
total full production tour with her. It was one of my first tours and we had semis and three buses and everything. And I barely knew what I was doing, but that's sort of how I got started with, with live sound. And it's, I've awesome. loved it. Um, <laughs> touring can be a little hard when you have a family, but, um, yes. but it's, it's, I love the work itself. Uh, anyhow, so as far as my mistake, yeah. So I, I, I was hired to record a chamber ensemble, um, in New York on governor's Island at a, um, at a, an old church that's on the island. There's no, there are no pews. It's a wide open space. It sounded amazing. Um, and I wanted to keep it simple. So I bought this console. Uh, I think the pro tools version I had at the time, I was going to record directly to pro tools on my MacBook pro. Uh, I had the, I had the console maybe a week. I needed, I, I realized I needed to upgrade pro tools. I did it the night before the project started. Not a good thing to do <laughs> to start using new software um, on a new console before you're paid a bunch of money with, uh, I think, 22, 23 people oh. waiting to record. Okay, so the first day it started, we got set up, we went down there. It, technically, it was working okay. Um, it, uh, environmentally, we had to actually move the second day because it was, just, it, ended, it was in April and it was just too cold in the church for the players to play. There was no heat or anything. So we ended up moving to a studio in New Jersey. Um, however, we wanted to try to retain some of the tracks we had done the day before. So instead of uh, using the actual studio equipment, I said, well, I'll just bring my rig. We'll continue. Uh, with, we're in a different environment, of course, but I'll continue with the same microphone, same gear, blah, blah, blah. So I went home that night. I realized I didn't have enough hard drive space. So I grabbed whatever little hard drive that I had. I, it pains me to even talk about this. <laughs> I'm having the, trouble listening. The, <laughs> I know the outcome of what happened. I'll, I'll cut to what happened. Uh, we, rec we recorded, I think two days straight in the studio in, uh, in Jersey. And it, uh, it was t musically totally successful. Everything, everyone was very happy. Four o'clock hit or so on the second day, everyone had to start getting back to the city. They had shows, a couple of, were at Carnegie, a couple of people were at symphony space. They had to get back. They cleared out in no time. I started to do some playback while, uh, while they were on their way to the train and I get an error. This actually, at this point, I don't even think I was in pro tools. I switched over to Reaper, which I yeah. also didn't know at the time. I just said, okay, I hear this is a good one to record onto really, really rookie mistakes. I was there, making. There's a, a litany of rookie mistakes here. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I had also just come off a European tour, like the, uh, you know, a couple of days before we actually started. So I was a little wiped out and out of my head, but anyhow, so I go to hit play and I get, I can't remember what the error message said, but it's, it essentially said, uh, that the hard disk, the hard drive was full and they couldn't, it, it couldn't buffer or something, no buffer room left. I didn't even know what it meant. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you had never used the software before. So why would you, why would the error message exactly. be familiar? Right. In Pro Tools, if you happen to run out the, which I've been using for 20 plus years, it stops and it tells you that it's run out of hard drive space. So you know that you have to do something about it, but you know what happened. Yeah. Apparently, if I understood it correctly, Reaper will continue to record and keep it in a buffer. And somehow you have an opportunity to take it from that buffer and save it to a new location. Anyway, I blew it. I quit Reaper. And the last couple of hours of audio from, uh, from all these musicians was gone. I, I looked everywhere I could. I tried to rebuild everything I could. Oh. It was gone. So I had to break the news to uh, the woman in charge that we didn't have this audio. <laughs> so she freaked out. I said, listen, whatever it's going to take, I'll, I'll, um, I'll cover it. So again, to try to make this long story a little shorter, uh, by the time we rebooked the session, had the musicians come back, 
rented the, I think, $3,500 worth of percussion equipment that was needed uh, and give I I continued the project miraculously. I did some overdubs. I mixed the project, finished the whole thing. It cost me just about $9,000 in, uh, rep, in reparations. <laughs> Is that 9,000? Like, uh, were you 9,000 out at the end in like in in total, or did you actually get some money in for this or was the nine grand, the, the net? I took it. Yeah. yeah, I took in a few thousand, actually gave back a couple of thousand in cash yeah. um, and did not have the income of what I would have by the time we finished the record. Got it. Okay. So this really cost you, you were, you were way net negative on this project. Way net negative. And what I, so what it ended up being really was, uh, so two things that I discovered. One was that I was using the, the initial drive was a slower drive. It was an old 5,400 RPM drive, which I didn't even understand why I plugged that drive in. So every time I stopped Pro Tools to do a playback, it would have to stop. These then these are long passes, passages. It had to um, draw the waveforms. It had to calculate, do whatever it needed to yeah. do. Um, so it wouldn't play back initially and quickly. And I couldn't go back into record quickly for the next take. So uh, that's when, in mid-session, that's when I decided to jump over to the Reaper with another drive that I thought would be faster, which was a 60 gigabyte drive, which already had stuff on it. And I'm recording something like 33 tracks into it. So... I, I ran out of drive. Say, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so painful. <laughs> so I ran out of drive on the small of uh, space on the small drive, the second drive. Um, it got buffered in Reaper. It all went away. So there are many, many lessons to be learned, uh, from this, which are all pretty obvious. I hope for well, you paid $9,000 in tuition is what we call that here. You got a good story that, and your brand is all about being a good guy who stands up. For that's true. Yeah. Oh, I, I, thank you. I, Paul, I appreciate that. Well, yeah, thank you. Now I, it, <laughs> I stressed for weeks over that, but don't use software that you haven't, you know, rung out. Don't, don't try to do something different than you, you know, than you know, works. Well, in, yeah, in, in, in the, in the tech world, but this applies to the music tech stuff too, is, you know, if it, we, we like to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What mm-hmm. we often practice is if it ain't broke, fix it till it is. And mm-hmm. and you definitely took the latter uh, and you took that with gusto, I think here. So, yeah. And at, at least in the end, it was a beautiful album, uh, got great. critically acclaimed. Uh, artists and musicians were very happy with it. So aside from the financial woes and the stress, you know, it ended up being an OK thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good, man. All right. Yep. Well, I, I don't want to keep you forever. I mean, I feel like we could just keep going and keep going. Paul, do you have any other questions for Dave here? Uh, last question would be, have you had any wall of sound Phil Spector type, like let's let's blow stuff up and be intensely creative in the studio? Any of those types of producers you've worked with? <laughs> oh, man. I have to think about that one, and I may not be able to answer it because it'll take me too long to think about it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there, uh, uh, you work you work with Todd, right? Uh, Rundgren. Yep. Yeah, that was um, touring. Oh, okay. uh, not in the studio. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, he's um obviously was a local legend for many years up here and lives in Hawaii now. I yeah, yeah. He bought that nice. He sold his uh, his his rights to the Bat Out of Hell royalties to buy that oh, house. Oh, I didn't know Hawaii. that. Yeah. So <laughs> so for people who don't know, I think we've mentioned this once on the show, but but as I understand the story, they wanted him to produce Bat Out of Hell. And uh, 
because they knew they needed somebody that was like a rock and roll guy, but also a theater guy, because that record was, you know, truly both, at, you know, at yeah, the I mean, same time. And much. they kept pestering Rundgren and he's like, you don't have the money for me. You don't have the money for me. And finally, they threw him a deal where I think they paid him like 30 or 40 grand in cash and then said, we'll give you a dollar a record uh, sold. Now, nobody gets a dollar a record, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and obviously that record went on. And so Todd took the deal. That record went on to to sell lots of dollars worth for Todd. And uh, and so he sold his as I understand the story, uh, he sold just not that long ago within the last 10 years or so. He sold his future rights to those royalties in exchange for a big lump of cash that he went and bought his gorgeous house in Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. And, and he did a, he did an episode of live at Daryl's house, except it was Daryl live at Todd's house, uh, at Todd's Hawaii, you know, palace there. And uh, so you can get a feel for a little bit of what, what he, uh, what he bought. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Did that buy you enough time to tell a story or do I have to seed a different story? And, and I'm using the word seed. You're a genius. Um, <laughs> you're using the word seed. Is that a is that a hint for me? Well, if um, you if you don't have a story, there I, is one that's related to the word seed that I know you have. So okay, way. well, uh, you can seed feed me that seed in a second. I'll just, okay. I don't have a story so much, but there, as far as the wall of sound question, yeah. um, I mixed a track for the Smithereens once, which was one of my favorite bands back in the day, and I always loved their sound. Their sound on their records was just it was this huge, cool. huge wall of guitars. Um, yeah very live, very big. Everything was big about it. And it was just such an amazing sound. And I was just curious what they did, how they did. So I got the multi-tracks. This was on tape. That's how long ago it was. Um, there was only, there were only like maybe six tracks of drums, six or seven tracks of drums and a couple of tracks of vocals, double track vocals. And the rest of it were guitars. So they had so many double, triple and quadruple tr- uh, tracks of guitars of the, of the same part, obviously, just, you know, just layered, layered guitars, slightly different sounds, um, which when I brought up the faders, it just made it massive. So it's a, it's a, such a simple way to do it, but it wasn't even so much miking techniques or, um, or anything technical, really. They just played lots of the Good same course. parts. Yeah. And it was just, it was such a pleasure to, to mix. As I said, you just, it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's cliche to say, you know, the best recordings, the best records are mixed by just bringing up the faders. You don't have to do much. And that was right. one of them for sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That, and that yeah. is that, I mean, you know, a, a slice of that Phil Spector idea, just throw more right. instruments at it. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so uh, your last story, uh, you told me how you accidentally recorded Nick Cave or or didn't really know what was going on at the time. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, it's like memory lane. These are, you know, it's all my old stories. It's, That's what we it's do good, here. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's what we do here. I we'll love have it. you on again to talk about your new story someday. The good news is that I can actually remember most of them. Still, right. So. Right. Uh, uh, Nick. Uh, yeah. So the record was Henry's Dream. Um, and he was, uh, this is going back again to Dreamland Studios back in the day. Uh, I was, uh, still on staff there and they were booked to come in to make a record. Um, I think that they, they, they come from a lot of different places, England, Australia, Germany, uh, maybe some other places. I can't remember. Those are the three, you know, sort of flights that came in for this project. Um, David Briggs, that's who the producer was. I, I don't know when we were speaking the other day, I couldn't remember who was yeah. producing it. Um, he was scheduled to make the record. These guys came in. Uh, I, at the time, didn't really know much about them. I did a little bit of listening to them before, just before they came in just to get a feel for them. Uh, but they came in, they were 
interesting people. Um, not, I'd say not the warmest people in the world. Very interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, and again, David was supposed to show up, but no one could get a hold of him. No one could track him down, down. No one can contact him. So there was a little bit of confusion as to what was going to happen. They were booked for about three weeks or something. So at a certain point, uh, you know, we were just kind of floundering around the studio and I think I did, you know, the first day or two, they said, well, let's just do, uh, um, the keyboard player, Conway Savage, really incredible songwriter. I've been looking to see if he's done anything over the years, but I can't really find too much about him. Mm. He just came up and, um, he came in and we recorded like a day or two of his songs, piano and vocal, uh, incredible stuff. So we did that. Then at, at that point, um, Nick was sort of like, let's, let's just set up and you, you know how to do this stuff, right? You know how to work the console. Let's just start recording. So we set up and we started making the record and we cut about maybe six songs. Um, production wise, it was more or less mutual between the band and me. They were leaning on me for some decisions and suggestions. Sure. Um, and after about 10 days of that, they still couldn't find David David Briggs. So they, and they didn't want to really finish the record. So they ended up just calling it, but we ended up doing about half the record and it was a great experience. So, so ever since that record was made, I'll, I met, I said this to you the other day, Dave, is that I'll run into people, they ask about credits or whatever. And I th start throwing out some names that I thought, I think they might find interesting, but when it gets to Nick Cave, mostly, mostly engineers and musicians, right? they, um, they're just like, they're practically at my feet that I've been in the same room with Nick Cave. <laughs> and since, of course, I've developed quite a respect for, and, uh, you know, appreciation for what he's all about. He's yeah, now a very, that you know, very interesting now that you know character. who he is. Yeah, yeah. So what yeah. happened to the guy? I think, I, well, I, he passed away eventually, but <laughs> not on that project. I think he eventually showed up because he's got credit on the record. So he showed up and they did the record somewhere else. They couldn't get back in our place. So, um, I, I don't know why he didn't show up. It was a it was a mystery at the yeah, it's, time. It's listed as having at least been finished at, at Sound City in California. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. There you go. Which which not makes not a sense. bad little studio. No, no, no. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. But yeah. did make for a fantastic movie. Uh, yeah, with Dave Grohl pulling that console out of there. That was yep. what a great movie and a great tour that came after that. You know, he really pulled together. Just a great little, I mean, it was only a nine city tour or something, but uh, for those of us that were he's, enough, he's an interesting guy, Dave Grohl. I, I really, I, li I like a lot of the stuff he's, he's done musically he's, and things, you know, things like that. Things like that. that movie. He's like the mayor of rock and roll. Everybody just loves him. It's, it's great. <laughs> and they should like, I'm not, I don't say that with a question. It, I, I say that, you know, he, it's well-deserved. He, yeah, he's well-respected. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, it's been a pleasure and uh, I'm, I could get a little long winded and I, 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 I'd love to speak for hours. So well, know. we'll have you back sometime. Yeah. 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 I will um, at some point have, in fact, if it's okay with you, Paul, I'll, I'll play it at after the, like in this recording, I'll play it at the end so that people on the thing can hear it. Uh, uh, my band Fling has been doing some recording, as I mentioned, and we finished yeah. one track and I set about mastering it and uh, I didn't quite do the best job and which wasn't surprising because I'm, you know, new at this. And so I, I leaned on Dave and asked him to coach me and guide me a little bit. And his coaching changed my master from something that 
probably was going to be a thing I wasn't all that proud of in about six weeks to something that I really feel good about. So uh, you you are not only are you a pro at at doing it, but you really, you know, your guidance was was awesome. So thank you. For I think that. you should pay him nine thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. yeah Paul, sounds, I like you. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't like this episode anymore. <laughs> But I will still you play know, the song kicked in the nuts at the end. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it, it's really been a blast. And um, I respect and appreciate what you guys are doing for the community, tech and music and all that other kind of stuff. So thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming. Tell people where they where they can find you if they're because you do this sort of thing. You you I mean, you you do remote work with people. So, yeah. You know, yeah. So where can people find you? So, uh, my, um, my, my website that needs some tweak tweaking is area dash 52 dash studios.com. Uh, and, um, if you, anyone wants to email me directly, it's area 52 sound at Gmail. That works. Perfect. Um, yeah. Get in touch with me. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Paul, you have anything to add before we, uh, before we get this one out of here? I think just always be performing is my message today. That's hmm. a good message. It's uh, every day. It's one yeah. of our favorites, in fact. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Thank, Thank you, Dave. you, guys.